It's great to have you guys on. Get your paper and pen ready. I'd probably say we've put 400 hours of research into, today, into today's webinar. Um, you're going to want to get the webinar today. We'll give, it, we'll give access to people that stick around till the very end. There's going to be a bunch of different things you'll get. We're going to cover a lot of different families. Um, I've called multiple state planners, some that I'm dealing with myself, some estate planners that deal with billionaires where they have you know, 31 families of $13 billion in net worth that we're dealing with my own setup. And uh, I just can't wait to share this with you. I know we've been getting a lot of commentary on people that want to learn about this at a time like this. So let's get right into it. Look, if you follow Vitamus content, I know a few different things about you. Number one, you work very hard for your money. Number two, you're an entrepreneur. Number three, you're an entrepreneur. Number four, you want to constantly figure out ways to improve. And when we see the economy today with the direction inflation is going or the market being as volatile as it is, you got to figure out a way to protect yourself because the value dollar keeps going lower. And that doesn't sit well with me. A long time ago, I decided to invest into gold and precious metals. This is real kilo of gold. I'm holding three kilos of it right here in my hands. One of the ways to go about protecting yourself against what's happening with the market and inflation is to buy silver or gold. And I'm happy to announce that we have decided to partner with GoldCo. So give GoldCo a call today to learn more about protecting your savings. And as a Valuetainer viewer, you could get up to $10,000 in free silver. Yes, that's $10,000 in free silver when it comes down to buying precious metals. Reputation matters. That's why I've partnered with GoldCo. Call them today at 855-598-2758 or click the link below to learn more about goldcode.com. Once again, that's 855-598-2758. Okay, so a few things. Number one, how to get the most out of today's webinar. Number one, uh, close out all your tabs that you have. Take notes. Engage in the chat. You're going to see a lot of commentary in this one here. Uh, this is a quote, and you'll see why we're going to talk about Vanderbilt's a lot in today's webinar, he once said, any fool can make a fortune. It takes a man of brains to hold on to it. We'll see if he was able to maintain to a lot of his fortune and his family. But again, turn off your computers. I mean, turn off your tabs, set your phones aside. This could be one of those types of messages that can get you to think about your family legacy in a completely different way. I remember years ago when I sat there and I said, what kind of a life do you want to build, Pat, when it comes down to generational wealth? I was dating a girl, and I was asking myself, would you let your daughter marry you? I was 23 or 24 years old at the time. I said, I wouldn't let your daughter marry a guy like you today. We got to get our act together. And then I started thinking about, you know, trying to adjust to the American culture where, you know, kids do sleepover and all this other stuff. I said, later on in life, when they want to do sleepover, are you comfortable with kids sleeping over other people's house? Are you comfortable later on when your grandfather, with your grandkids, wanting to go to your kid's in-law's house instead of your house? What are you going to do for them to come to you one day? What kind of kids do you want to raise? What kind of a family do you want to build? These are thoughts that I had very, very early on uh, when I was coming up to see what was important to me or wasn't, what wasn't important to me. And I'm sure many of you that are on this webinar, you've probably thought about those things as well. I'm probably not alone on that subject. So why this topic? few different things. Why now? Uh, number one, how I make content. I make content based on whatever I'm learning today or going through today. So if I'm doing a video on how to raise money, I'm raising money or I just raised tens of millions of dollars. If I'm going through selling a company or hiring or firing or investments or anything that I'm teaching you is because I just went through or I'm currently learning 
because it's a topic that I think about a lot. So how it's evolved. So why generational wealth? Um, I was talking to my kids the other day, and it was a very interesting conversation. This is about a month ago, a month and a half ago, because this has been the content that I've been thinking about a lot. We were sitting there, and I said, hey, Tico, Dylan, I got a question for you. They said, what? I said, what happens to uh, daddy's money if he dies? And uh, Tico and Dylan, they both say, well, daddy, the money goes to mommy. I said, okay, you're smart. So I didn't say mommy and daddy. I said, so what happens if mommy and daddy's die, and what should happen with the money? And uh, my oldest said, well, the money should go to me. I'm the oldest. And you see my uh, youngest son, he's like, well, that's not fair. How about me? I should get some of the money. So then Tico and Dylan, they say, well, daddy, I think half of it should go to Tico. Half of it should go to me. And my oldest says, I think that's fair, 50-50. Then my daughter is eavesdropping in the conversation. She says, well, how about me? I, I should get some of the money. And you see the brother, it's so interesting while they're going through it. You see uh, the brother say, well, Senna, we would take care of you. She says, that's not fair. Do I get any money myself? And she's like, well, I think we should probably give some money to her. Then I say, I said, how about Brooklyn, the fourth baby? She's 17 months. Well, daddy, she's too young right now. So what if she's not young later on? Well, we'll take care of her. Well, should she get some of the money? I think she should. And then eventually I said, well, what if one of you guys decides to do bad things in your life? You go to jail, you do drugs, you do alcohol, and you over, you're not responsible with money. You're making a mess with your life. You're not setting a good example. And you see all of them say, I don't think that kid should get anything. And I said, interesting that you guys are saying it now. Because that's what's in the trust, where you have to make certain decisions the proper way, or else you're not going to be participating in any of that stuff. And the reason why I'm saying this is because if you do the generational wealth the right way, not only can you keep your family closer, if you don't do it the right way, there's so much infighting that they don't want to be around each other. And you're going to see some of the families, those that did it right and kept the families together, and those that didn't do it right. So some of the things that we'll be, we'll be covering today is a few different things. We're going to talk about six components of generational wealth and how these guys did it. The generational wealth cycle, how generational wealth is made, how generational wealth is lost, five generational wealth killers, 14 wealth-creating habits, and 11 rules of investing. So get your papers and pens out. We're going to go through this, and we're going to spend probably another hour or about an hour and 15 minutes together. So let's get right into it. Who are we going to learn from? This is the Medici family. If you haven't heard about the Medici family, there's a lot to learn from this family. And then we're going to learn from the Carnegies. We'll learn from the Vanderbilt family. We will learn from the Ford family. And then we'll also cover a little bit of Rothschild dynasty, obviously Rockefellers, and uh, those will be the families that we'll focus on here today. So who's on the webinar today? Three types of people. Those who want to learn how to create generational wealth, that may be you. Those have a little bit of wealth and want to get more. And some of you that are already wealthy and you want to learn how to preserve the wealth that you currently have. So either if you're one, two, or three, we're going to cover all three here together. So Andrew Carnegie said, with access to books or educational content like this, back then they didn't have courses, but I'm sure if they did, he would have said courses as well. And the desire to learn could educate him or herself and be as successful as he had been. One more time. Anyone with access to books and the desire to learn, like yourself that you're on right now, could educate him or herself and be as successful as he had been. So here's what's taking place right now. A few different things. Amazon is the first company ever to lose a trillion dollar in value. 
That happened this year. Uh, we got FTX files bankruptcy. Bankman Freed steps down. We know the story about this. You're seeing it everywhere. They're talking about this. Who's tied to it? Who's not? Celebrities, those who endorsed them. It's a messy situation. How Insight was a part of it. BlackRock, Sequoia, so many big names. A $32 billion company got $2 billion at a $32 billion valuation. Boom. Like this, it's gone. Okay. Meta lays off more than 11,000 employees, and the layoffs keep coming left and right. Homeowners have lost a trillion and a half dollars in equity since May as housing market continues to decline. And I can give you 50 other things on what's going on. I can talk gas prices. I can talk the direction they're predicting, you know, uh, 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 unemployment to go next year, interest rate, inflation. There's so many things we can talk about, but if you consume the content, you've already seen a lot of that. So, the six components to generating, creating generational wealth. Number one, mindset. Number two, timing. Number three, habits. Number four, compounding. Five, strategy. Six, relationships. So let's go through them. Mindset. Creating generational wealth, you have to have the right mindset. If you don't have the right mindset, it's not going to happen. And that's not going to happen overnight. So how do you get the right mindset? By being on the right webinars, the right courses, the right books, you're constantly trying to see how those who created a ton of generational wealth think and how different it is than yours. I remember years ago, 21 years ago, I had one of my affirmations that said the following, you know, you are where you are because of the way you think. And if you're not happy with, the, with where you are, you have to change the way you think. So if you're not happy financially where you are, it's because of the way you think. If you're not happy with your personal life, it's because of the way you think. That's part of the mindset. Number two is timing. This is a very important season right now of timing. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear. We just came out of midterms. Elections in two years, presidential. You just saw Trump coming out. He's running. Is it going to be DeSantis? Is it going to be Newsom? Your people are worried on what's going to happen with the economy. The Dow is up, but is it real? Credit cards are up. People are spending more money on credit cards right now than ever before. What does that mean? Why are people getting home equity line of credits today? And Home Depot stock is up and Walmart stock is up. Does that mean people are using their credit cards to go spend money where they're doing okay? But at the same time, the savings in America from Q1, we had $2.3 trillion in savings. We collectively were trillionaires. And that's gone from $2.3 trillion to every quarter losing $300 billion. We're down to $1.6 trillion in savings. That's like you going from $23,000 in the bank in cash to now $16,000. You think that's something you'd be talking about to your husband or your wife at night? We're saying, babe, just six months ago, we had $23,000 in our savings. We're at 16. That means we can only do this for three or four more quarters. Then we're running out of savings. How are we going to handle this in 2023? People are thinking, which means timing matters on how you react when the market is afraid. Number three, habits. We're going to talk a lot about some of their habits and what they did. Number four, compounding, which requires a lot of patience. You'll see what their strategy of patience means to them, and then some of the strategies will cover that, and then obviously relationship, the types of people you meet, the types of contacts you make, the types of people you go into business with. All of that matters a lot. That's the six components of generational wealth. So now, the family cycle. We've read this before. This is not the first time you're seeing this. This isn't my quote. This was said by somebody else. But we've heard it. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. I saw Aaron McKee, who played for John Cheney, said John Cheney once told me to follow him. 
He said, my grandfather walked 10 miles to work every day. My father walked five miles. I drive a Cadillac. My son drives a Mercedes. Most likely my grandson will be in a Ferrari, but my great-grandson will be walking again. Okay? And so what does he mean by this when he says my great-grandson will be walking again? It says talking, but it's will be walking again. What does it mean? That means most people don't prepare generational wealth and generational habits. What needs to transfer are the habits, not just the money. Too often all we think about is, man, I hope I get the money passed down to my kids. No, you hope the right habits gets passed down to your kids because that's what keeps it within the family. So now the Medici family fortune starts through a few different things, banking and commerce. They rose to become one of the most important families in Florence. Some estimate that they put their net worth at $129 billion adjusted for inflation. A few other things you need to know about this family. Their family influence lasted 500 years, producing four popes, two queens of France. They were the bank for the Vatican. Think about it. They were the bank for the Vatican. Their art patronage earned them the nickname Godfathers of the Renaissance. They sponsored Michelangelo, Donatello, Leonardo da Vinci, and Raphael. And this is not the Ninja Turtles, by the way. We're talking about the legit ones, not the stuff that you and I saw as kids growing up. The book, The Prince, by Machiavelli, was offered to Piero de' Medici, okay? So you already see their resume. They ruled Tuscany from 1437 to 1737. They had the right network, kings, queens, popes, and royalty. They were more efficient than others. They adopted systems and structured a bank like a corporation. They let ego be their downfall. The lineage started crumbling when the success got to their head and they stopped focusing on the bank. So that's the Medici. Now the next one is the Carnegie family. He grew up poor in Scotland and was making $1.20 at his first job in the U.S. Andrew Carnegie's fortune peaked at around $309 billion. He was the richest man in America after selling his company in 1901. Carnegie entered the steel industry in 1873 and started his first company that evolved into the Carnegie Steel Company few things about their family legacy. At his death, Carnegie donated most of his money to build over 2,509 libraries and schools like the Carnegie Mellon University. He's referred to as the patron saint of libraries. That was a big part of his mission on what he wanted to do with his life. He left his wife and nine children with a trust of about $10 million each and the properties he owned. By the second generation, they began donating their land to the National Park Service in the 1970s due to expensive upkeep. So what can we learn from these guys? He was an early pioneer pioneer by bringing in Bessemer process of making steel to the U.S. and created a fortune in the process. Carnegie grew up poor and believed the way to wealth was through self-education. This is something that I've applied myself. You hear about this on Vitamin and many other people who are self-educated folks This is one way he created his mind and his wealth as well. His legacy involved giving back to the schools and libraries so that people just like him could access the resources he had that allowed him to build his wealth. You can create a legacy by helping more than just your family. So what's the point here with Carnegie? What is your legacy? What do you want to leave behind? You know, you hear me talk about capitalism all the time in books and business and entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship. What is it for you that gets you excited about it? Is it orphanage? Maybe that's something that is part of your passion. Is it kids? Is it, you know, uh, women, men? Is it businesses? What is it that you want to leave behind that's part of your cause 
and you crusade. This was a big part of Carnegie's DNA. Next, we have the Vanderbilts. When Cornelius Vanderbilt was 16 years old, he turned $100 into $100 million, which is $200 billion adjusted for today's money. His mom gave him $100, and he turned into what it is, $200 billion today. It was roughly equivalent to 50% of U.S. Treasury at the time. Think about that right there. 50% of the U.S. Treasury at the time. This is how rich Vanderbilt was uh, at, during his time. He created a fortune for himself through his ferry and railroad companies. He was known to be a harsh man who rarely trusted his family with his business and money. With 13 kids, he only left one of his sons with the skills to handle his money and his business. Okay, so think about that. I think he had eight daughters. I don't think he left a penny for any one of them because he didn't think there's any benefit to leaving women or his girls any money. Very interesting guy, Vanderbilt was. Well, let's see if this philosophy worked or not. So here's his legacy. When Vanderbilt died, his son William took over his fortune and doubled it to $200 million by the time he died in 1885. However, within 50 years of Cornelius' death, the fortune was completely gone. So think about it. In 50 years, $200 billion, gone. There's no money. Anderson Cooper's mom said, we may be part of the Vanderbilt's family, but there's no trust fund here, kid. Not going to give you nothing. You've got to go make your own money. So whatever money Anderson Cooper's made, he's made on his own. The third and fourth generation grew up ridiculously lavishly and spent their fortunes like crazy. The descendants were prone to family competition, building huge mansions to rival each other. And this is one of them, by the way. When you see this mansion, you think this is a hotel. This is not a hotel. This was built as a vacation home. Finished in 1895, 30,000-acre estate, 250 Room French Renaissance Castle took six years and cost nearly $6 million to build, which in today's money, you ready? $1.6 billion by today's standards. Why does somebody need a 250-room French Renaissance Castle for vacation? Well, that's what these guys did. And what happened to that money? It disappeared. Biltmore, Biltmore House is considered the largest privately owned home in the entire country and is still operated by the Vanderbilt descendants today, uh, 179,000 square feet, give or take, with 35 bedrooms for family and guests, 43 bathrooms, 65 fireplaces, and three kitchens in this place. Okay, So what can we learn here? Don't bring family into business and teaching them the trade. They didn't do that. He didn't want to do it. He said, I'm just going to do one of my kids out of the 13, but I don't want to teach the kids how I made the money. Lack of wealth habits led to poor money management and entitlement. Wasted the wealth on crazy, lavish lifestyle? Don't be like the Vanderbilts. That's pretty much the story of Vanderbilts. If there's one family you don't want to be like, it is the Vanderbilt, okay? Specifically in generational wealth. To creating wealth, be like Vanderbilts. To pass down the wealth, you do not want to be like the Vanderbilts. Here's the Rothschilds. Mayor Rothschild returned to Frankfurt in 1763. At the age of 19, joined his brothers in the trading business started by their father, Okay. Mayor Rothschild returned to Frank. Uh, then Rothschild Banking Empire grew rapidly during the French Revolution. Before he died, he left strict instructions for his heirs on how they should handle family finances. So there's strict instructions being left behind. So he was progressive. He was prepared. He knew he wanted to get these guys to think the right way. In the early 1800s, Rothschild sent his sons to live in Naples, Vienna, Paris, and London, in addition to keeping a son in Frankfurt. The five linked branches became uh, the five linked branches became in effect the first bank to transcend borders. 
lending to governments to finance war operations over several centuries, provided the Rothschild family with ample opportunity to accumulate bonds and build additional wealth in a range of different industries. The family's net worth peaked at around $500 billion after the Napoleonic Wars when they were financing both sides. So what can we learn from these guys? Traditionally, the Rothschild's fortune is invested in closely held corporations. Today, the Rothschild Corporation have continued to see success. Most family members are employed by these corporations directly or are invested in operations that generate family wealth. The remarkable success of the family has largely been due to a strong interest in corporations being entrepreneurs and the practice of smart business principles. The family motto is Concordia, Integritas, Industria, which means harmony, integrity, and industry. So the family had a certain set of values and principles that they kept teaching. Therefore, the family still has been able to keep the money. Next, this one's also an interesting one. The Ford fortune. Henry Ford's fortune peaked at around $200 billion. His wealth was almost 3% of the U.S. GDP in 1913. Started Ford Motor Company in 1903 and quickly became the largest automotive manufacturer in the world. Okay? Their legacy. Upon his death, Ford left most of his vast wealth to Ford Foundation and arranged for his family to control the company permanently. Fords, collectively, are worth around $2 billion. It is the fifth generation of Ford sons, grandsons, and cousins to own the company. The family owns nearly 40% of voting power in Ford Company. So now what can we learn from these guys? Upon his death, trusts were in place in order to protect most of his wealth from excess taxes and transfer of wealth. By the way, this is something that most people don't realize when it comes down to estate planning. Elvis died with nothing being passed on to his family, his kids. So did MLK. So did Abraham Lincoln. There are a lot of families that were not prepared for this, and they didn't do proper estate plannings. A lot of celebrities, a lot of athletes. Babe Ruth left nothing pretty much for his family. Just because they didn't take the time to think about generational wealth, they were just looking at the money in themselves in their lifetime. They didn't say, well, one day I'm going to die. I'm sure that day is going to come. I'll be ready when that day comes. And they never get prepared. Most people don't get prepared for this. The fact that you're on this webinar right now tells me this is something that's important to you. And kudos to you to do what most are not willing to do. This gives you an advantage over other people. And uh, obviously everything will come down to execution. But you do have an edge, the fact that you want to learn how to do these things. So they managed to help, uh, keep the business within the family, and each generation took the company and moved it forward. The transfer of wealth was swift, and the business acumen and wealth habits were left intact. Okay, So whatever they learned, he passed it down, and the kids and grandkids kept using those skill sets to grow the company to the next level. Rockefeller started out as an assistant bookkeeper making 50 cents a day. His fortune peaked at around $418 billion. Again, another 3% of U.S. GDP around the same time as uh, uh, Ford. Started Standard Oil in 1870 and grew to control 91% of oil production and 85% of oil sales in the United States. Okay? Upon his death, all the money went into trust controlled by male heirs of the fortune that were designated, designed to maintain the wealth. There are over 150 direct descendants of Rockefeller, and their net worth is estimated to be $8.4 billion. The fifth and sixth generation aren't likely to be able to live off of their family trust, according to people close to the family. 
They currently hold no money-making family businesses. It's purely investments. The family members individually donate $50 million each year, and uh, the foundation donates $170 million every year. Generational skipping trusts were in place, which is a beneficial thing to have in place. Rockefeller had trusts in place to make sure that the money was evenly distributed. So this isn't something where one got more than the other. The approach he took, he wanted to be evenly distributed. The family had developed a system of values, traditions, and institutions that have helped the family stay together and preserve the wealth. Think about that one right there. What set of values and traditions uh, do you want to pass down to your kids? Think about a person sitting there to think about that and say, hey, babe, this is what I want to pass down to my kids. Here's what I want them to be doing. These are our values. One of the things we talk about a lot in our family is lead, respect, improve, love. Those are four things we do as a family. We don't bully. We don't get bullied. And there's four things we pray for. Courage, wisdom, tolerance, understanding. Obviously, there's a lot of other values. I'm giving you the basic of what we teach. You can tell these families, think about these things, and it's repetitive, and they keep talking about it over and over and over again. I'll never forget a story Arnold told the first time he met when he married Maria Shriver, he said, the first time I met uh, one of the Kennedys, he says, so what's your favorite color? And he said, uh, we like red. He says, no, no, what's your favorite color? He says, yeah, we like the color red. He says, I, I, I don't think, why are you saying we? What do you like? He says, we, the Kennedys, like the color red. Why would somebody say something like that? Because the family talks about it. We like the color red. So how detailed is that to say this is our color of what we like, something again to be thinking about. I'm not saying go pick your favorite color and say, in our family, we like the color purple. Purple. But the point is, they're thinking about details like this. So, and the last one, even Rockefeller made mistakes when he came down to planning. Uh, there's a certain number that uh, I think he had a $1.4 billion uh, of uh, estate when he died. At the time, obviously today's money, it's $400 billion. But $1.4 billion at the time, 70% of it got taxed, just so you know. Only $400 million ended up going to the family. 70% because there was no will in place. Rockefeller had no will in place. A basic will cost you a couple hundred dollars to put together. There was no will. Cost the family 70% of $1.4 billion. Think about that. Just taking the time to put together a will. Again, our job is to learn from what people did right and learn from what they did wrong, and do what they did right, and don't do what they did wrong. So what did they have in common? A few different things. Number one, they all chose a growing industry and were early adopters. Number two, they found a problem and created a solution. Three, they had equity in businesses that grew. And last but not least, this is a tough one for many people. It took them 20 to 40 years to amass their wealth. Do you have that kind of patience? 20 to 40 years to amass that kind of wealth. A lot of time people talk about, well, Elon Musk is worth a few hundred billion dollars in today's money, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, Elon Musk has been doing this for a long time, nearly 30 years. He's been doing what he's doing with business. When, he's, when they sold PayPal for $1.5 billion, his share was $180 million. You know what he did with his $180 million? He put $100 million into SpaceX. He put 70 in Tesla. And I think he put $10 million in the solar company. And that $180 million turned into... $250 billion today, give or take, depending on how the economy is, because he's a long-term thinker. Warren Buffett today is worth $109 billion. You know how long he's been at it? A long time. 
He's also a long-term thinker. This is very common when you look at people who create a ton of wealth. So getting rich is different from staying rich, okay? Slow money, long money. The longer it takes, it eventually takes to accumulate the longer you hold on to it. They all spend 20 to 30 years building their wealth. Fast money, quick money, therefore 70% of lottery winners end up broke within a few years. Think about this. This is a study that MIT did. Didn't somebody just win $2 billion right now with the lottery? What do you think is going to happen with this regular person that gets $2 billion? You think they know how to manage $2 billion? If the person's never had a million dollars, their identity, if their job is $52,000 a year, they get $2 billion. What do you think they're going to be doing with that money? How quickly do you think that goes away? Even though you may say, come on, Pat, you think a person can run through $1.9 billion in no time? Yes, absolutely. Because if you don't know how to manage it, and if your identity doesn't believe you're worth $1.9 billion, and you think you're only worth $22,000 of savings in a bank, somehow, someway, either someone's going to rob you of that money, someone's going to take that money from you, you're going to break the law, you're going to pick up bad habits like drugs, alcohol, and then boom, the money disappears. Most of the time, according to MIT. The people who get rich quick lack something crucial to generational wealth. Generational wealth habits. This is exactly what we're talking about. So number one, they invest in sure bets. So something that these guys did. Number two, investing in appreciating assets. Three, structuring it generational. They think about how am I going to get this money to go to the kids and to grandkids. It is something they think about. Practicing apprenticeship. What can I do to develop these leaders? What can I do to teach my habits to them? They come to work. They see how mommy's working. They see how daddy's working. They see how you're growing your business. Whenever I'm doing a conference call, I like my kids to listen to many of these conference calls so they see how I'm negotiating. They see how I'm talking. And then afterwards, they'll ask me questions. That is a form of apprenticeship. My six-year-old daughter, I went home right now to pick up a few of these uh, kilo of gold because I was doing a video for gold. My daughter immediately, Daddy, can I come back to the office? Can I come back? To she just wants to be here. And I'm like, absolutely, you can come here. Today she had to do homework and she had something she had to do or else she would have been here. Think everything about duplicating good habits to your kids. Most of the time, kids will only see the bad habits, but think about what good habits we can dupl duplicate to the kids. Being pioneers and trendsetters. So some of you guys may say, well, Pat, what do you want me to do with oil? That's already done. Railroad, who the hell is going on? I've never been on a train before. I'm not going to get on a train. Planes, what can I do that's going to be revolutionary? Either be revolutionary or join a revolutionary. Either be a pioneer or jump on a pioneer ship plane and say, I'm going with you wherever you're going. I'm going on this rocket. We're going places. I'm going to bring my value to you. But either way, either be a pioneer and trendsetter or join a pioneer and trendsetter. Changing the business with the changing times. They knew how to pivot and adjust. Recognizing and capitalizing opportunities. That's something you got to be thinking about and you got to be looking at. Teaching the family early, not waiting till later on to teach them the right habits. Staying away from the spotlight. Very interesting to say stay away from the spotlight. This is, this is interesting where this was a big part of philosophy where they want to be a little, uh, little low key. Even if you think about the Koch brothers or Rothschild, you don't hear a lot from them. You may even not be able to say that you hear a lot from many of these people who made their wealth then. It's very different today. It's hard for Bezos or Musk or a lot of these guys to stay away from the spotlight today because we have something called social media. And whether you like it or not, the media is going to somehow pull you in. But do your best to stay away from the spotlight. This is what some of these guys did. Leadership and family is based on merit, which means you got to earn it, kind of like how I talk to my kids 
when I said, hey, what if one of you guys does something bad? Should that person still get the money? No, you should. You know, okay, great. Perfect. No problem. So families have certain set of values in place to get that wealth. You talk about that early. Very simple. The other day I was walking with uh, one of my neighbors. This guy's family, they have 7,000 employees, classy guy. We always talk. I give him value. Stayed up till God knows what time for him to create content. And we are like, oh, my God, I can't believe how to do this, how to do this. You're going to be great. But while we're walking, and uh, this is uh, Halloween, and we're doing trick-or-treating. While we're walking, his son walks by, and uh, so, hey, how you doing? Great. His son's playing football. And he says, um, yeah, he lost his technology privileges for seven weeks. I said, what do you mean technology privileges? He says, yeah, he lost his technology privileges. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, iPhone, video games, stuff like that. I said, why did he lose it? He says, oh, in our family, very basic, in our family, if you don't have straight A's, you lose technology privileges. I said, really? He said, yeah. If you don't have straight A's, you lose technology privileges. Think about that. So I sat there, and I came back, and I said, I've been thinking about a way to talk to my kids about getting a phone because a lot of people are having phones. Uh, they say, oh, how am I, I going to get these guys the phones? Now, there's a system. So the point is, leadership in family is based on merit. That's a merit. You want technology? Uh, uh, you want technology? You got to make sure you have straight A's. So these are some of the things that you borrow to create in your own family. Next, maintaining strong family connections, keeping people together, reunions, traveling together. I remember I was dealing with this one insurance guy, very, very successful guy, and uh, who had had a massive exit, and he had started an annuity company out of Kansas City. And one day I'm sitting down with him talking to him. I said, so tell me some of your family traditions. The guy was in his 70s, so I like to learn a lot from people that are super successful. He says, every year I take 89 of my family members on a vacation and I pay for the whole thing. I said, what? Really? He said, absolutely. Two weeks I take him. I said, are you joking? He says, no. He said, let me show you some pictures. He shows me. This is a cruise. This is 89 of us. And he starts telling me I started doing this 20 years ago. First one we did was only 11 of us. Then it went to 15. Then it went to 20. Imagine the pictures he's shown every year. He says, now it's 89. All these grandkids, all these boyfriends and girlfriends. He says, 89, we go together. I said, why do you do this? He says, believe it or not, it keeps the family united. We're all together. I'm like, wow, very interesting. He told me this in 2009 when I started the insurance company, 14, 13 years ago. This Christmas, I tell my wife, when it comes down to one thing that I don't hold back is experiences with the kids. This Christmas, we're probably going to spend four dollars to $500,000 on our Christmas. Last year was $300,000. There's one thing that I'm going to do to bring the family together is something like this. You get to use your resources to create the family to come together. When I was thinking about as a 23-year-old, one day I want my grandkids to choose to come to my place. I want to build an estate where kids can get to play, swim, do whatever they want, and the in-laws can be in a complete separate house. So Christmas, Thanksgiving, summer vacations, all my grandkids want to come to me because I want to stay close to my kids and my grandkids. Those are some of the things you do to keep the family connections together. Again, see, some people may say, Pat, you're out of your mind. That's important to me. What's important to you? This doesn't apply to everybody, but that's what I think about. What do you think about in finding ways to maintain strong family connections? Next, Build strong business networks. You know, uh, uh, connections is a, is a very big thing. Today, I just get a call out of nowhere, and this guy says, hey, Pat, uh, 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 one of our guys here that we work with, he says, hey, you know, 
there's this guy I just talked to, and he just came up to me, and he's been following Vitamin for a while, and he wants to be our contact for Hollywood, for Grammys, for all this stuff. And there are people that want to be the agent because they want to, you know, they're seeing what's going on here where we have a lot of exposure on social media and the internet, but we don't have it on mainstream media. And they want to talk to you. This is a connection of a connection of a connection. When you build strong relationships, you know, I remember when first time I read a book about Bill Clinton running for office when he was a governor in Arkansas and he became the president beating George Bush Sr. He said he wrote 20,000 handwritten notes that he gathered on this Rolodex. Forget about all the bad things you may think about with Bill Clinton. The man was an incredible networker. He took his 20,000 contacts that he had gathered, Rolodex, wrote everybody a note. I am running for office. Here's the reason. I would love to get your support. And then, boom, all these connections helped him eventually become a president. It doesn't matter what it is. Your contacts may one day be your kid's contact. Very important to build strong business networks. Being cautious of who you bring into the fold, very, very uh, uh, interesting. You talk about who dates you, who dates your kids, and saying and breaking it down to find out who the family of the kid that's dating you, you know, kind of being a little bit more proactive. Hey, hey, daddy, I love this guy. Great, let me meet his family. You know, hey, mom, I love this girl. Great, let's meet her family. It doesn't matter what it is. You want to keep them close to see who they're getting close to. Friends, hey, I hang out with this guy named Joey. Great, bring him over for a pool party. And then you look, oh, Joey was smoking weed over there at 13 years old. Yeah, we're going to have a problem here. We got to figure this thing out. Now I know I talked to the family. We're being proactive. You got to be proactive. You have to stay paranoid. Ray Dalio said something very interesting this last week. I watched a clip of his, and he said, you know, if you worry, you won't have to worry. But if you don't worry, you will have to worry. Well, what does that mean? If you worry about the economy, you're probably not going to take a massive hit because you'll be overly prepared. He says, but if you don't worry about economy, your kids, how you raise them, finances, rates, you know, politics, if you don't worry about it, guess what? You're going to have a lot to worry because it's all going to impact you. The whole concept is to be a little bit cautious of who you bring into the fold. Very, very important. By the way, this applies to lawyers, estate planners, accountants, firms, consultants. Very, very careful who you bring on the inside. 14, capitalizing of certain aspects of the law. They talk about loopholes, but this is the benefit of having the right accountants, overpaying for accountants to protect you against laws that change. I've had lazy accountants before. If you got lazy accountants just because they're a friend or a family, and they're working independently, they're by themselves, and you're starting to do very well, maybe it's time to fire your account. As much as you love them, you got to move on. My recommendation is always to go to a top 50 accounting firm because a top 50 accounting firm, they have responsibilities, and if, God forbid, one of their accountants does something bad to you, they're held responsible to have another team come and fix it, and they typically have tax planning, you know, laws changing. They'll tell you. I'll talk to my accountant. They'll say, hey, let me tell you, for the state of Texas, this change. For Florida, that change. For California, this is what's going on. So we may be able to do this for this state, but not the other state. So again, very, very important to know what's going on with tax laws and the laws of your industry, period. So that's that. Now, generational wealth killers. Number one, lack of wealth habits. Very simple. If you have lack of wealth habits, sudden wealth syndrome. You all of a sudden get money. You don't know what to do with it. Your identity didn't, catch your, didn't match your money. You may all of a sudden get $10 million, but you're only used to making 60 k Man, you better change your identity up to upgrade thinking like a $10 million person. 
which means don't do anything with the money anytime soon until you start thinking what it is to have $10 million. So sudden wealth syndrome is very, very problematic. This happens in sales. You'll see somebody that's making $4,000 a month, $10,000 a month, and all of a sudden they sell a $4 million home. And they get a $150,000 check or $100,000 check. And they buy four Rolexes, a Ferrari, and a Lambo thinking this is going to happen forever. Boom. Six months later, they lose the Ferrari. They lose the Lambo. They sell their watch that I bought for $20,000, for $2,000 to you, or $5,000 to you. This is called the sudden wealth syndrome. I lean towards buying things that I can't afford today, typically a year, two years later. Ah, not yet. Ah, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. At $250,000 in the bank at 27, 28 years old. And I was driving a Ford Focus, and everybody was saying, Pat, are you broke? I'm like, no, I'm not ready to buy an exotic yet. Uh, and my friends were like, well, let's buy a million-dollar home. Let's buy this because this was the ninja side, no income, no assets, no jobs. I'm like, I'm not buying nothing yet. Eventually, I had a, had a half a million dollars. I took that to finance by insurance company, and obviously, we just were able to sell the company for a few hundred. It was a very good experience when that took place, but it's sudden wealth syndrome, okay? Three, lack of concentrated wealth, okay? Lack of concentrated wealth. You know, it's, it's all over the place. You know, you don't have it too focused. Yes, you want to make sure you have a, a you know, diversification may be a good thing. But if you want to create true wealth, typically it's better to have it more focused in certain sectors than too many different places. Some may disagree with me and say, Pat, what are you talking about? You got to diversify. I get it. Totally understand. It's all about your risk tolerance and your time horizon. But if you want to create true, true wealth, you got to be a little bit concentrated in industries you're looking at. I went insurance industry, one industry, 20-some years I've been in it till today. 21 years, one industry. Pat, try loans. Nope. Guys call me, Pat, what if we team up to do real estate? Nope. Hey, what if we team up to do? Nope. I'm insurance. Well, that's a boring industry. Really? Not so boring for me. I love this industry. Look what we did to it. There was a problem in the insurance industry. What was it? Only 17% of agents were women. We built an insurance company, 54% were women. Oh, Hispanics, nobody was selling them insurance. We're 51% Hispanic. The average agent was a 56-year-old white male. Our average agent became a 34-year-old Hispanic female. Everybody was stodgy and, you know, boring when he would go to conventions. Our conventions are wild. A Kevin Hart will be doing a one-hour irresponsible tour and make 6,000 people laugh. We brought a President Bush to talk about what happened with his life, how he became a president. We'll bring the late Kobe Bryant. We'll bring people like Billy Bean and entertainment. And, hey, you know, Sebastian, Sebastian Maniscalco, come and give a performance. Make everybody laugh. We'll have Shaq come up, Mike Tyson come up. We'll put up a concert with Nicky Jam. We'll put a concert with Nelly. But we saw a leak in an industry that was traditionally known as being boring. We made it exciting, and we changed it up. So, so that's, that's something you got to be thinking about. So breakdown in trust and communication. Next, parents not preparing children. And not talking to them. Jamie Johnson, an heir to the Johnson & Johnson healthcare fortune, says in his documentary, Born Rich, that he was clueless about the extent of his family wealth until a young schoolmate read his father's listing in the Forbes 400 out loud to the entire class. Let me read this one more time to you in case you missed it. Jamie Johnson had no clue. She just thought, I'm just Jamie Johnson. She had no idea. She was an heir to the Johnson Johnson family. In the documentary Born Rich, which is a good documentary to watch, that he was clueless about the extent of his family's wealth until a young classmate read his father's listing in Forbes 400. He's like, wait, that's my dad? Wow, my dad's a billionaire. This kid never knew his dad was a billionaire. Think about how those parents raised the kids, right? Preparing, 
parents not preparing kids, right? So now, here's a few different things. 11 Ps when it comes down to investing. These are my 11 Ps on what I look at when I invest into different things. Some of it you can borrow. Some of it you may say, no, it's not for me. Number one, I invest in people, meaning operators. I feel Musk is a good operator. So if I had a chance to invest into Twitter, I would have risked a few million dollars to invest into Twitter because I trust in him as an operator. Is there risk there? Of course there is. He's been targeted. But I like to invest in great operators, okay? Like there's a story on Business Insider. This one guy who was friends with Warren Buffett. I don't know what year this was, by the way, Tyler. If you can look it up, 1950s or 60s. Early on, maybe even 74, 72. And this guy says, look, I was friends with Warren Buffett. He told me to put $10,000 in Berkshire Hathaway. I did. And I never looked at it. I went back to my regular job. He makes 80 grand a year, by the way. But he put $10,000 in Berkshire Hathaway. He said, why did you? So I really believed in the person, Warren Buffett. You know how much that $10,000 worth today? You ready? A billion dollars. $10,000 he put. Never touched the money. The guy's a billionaire because he invested in the right person. He said, this guy's going places. And he was right. Okay? So first P, invest in people. Second P, Invest in perpetual things. I like perpetual things that money keeps coming in. Netflix, you're paying $12.99 per month. Okay, Different types of services where the money is being paid on a regular basis. It's a membership model, which is perpetual. Number three is phenomenons or phenomena. Uh, phenomena right now, I, I just bought a few massive cards. I bought, a, you know, I bought the Pat Mahomes, his second best card. It's a one-of-one one RPA Beautiful card. I'm a Joe Burrow fan. I bought his card. I bought Pat Mahomes' card. One of one as well. I think it's his second best card as well. Both of them second best card. Uh, I just bought Mbappe's best card. If you guys know the soccer player Mbappe, I own Mbappe's best card. Spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on it. World Cup's coming up. If France wins, and he's a superstar there, I think they're third right now in the odds to win. That's a phenomenon. Now, it's a risk, but it's a risk I'm willing to take, right? Some people did Netflix, uh, uh, did NFTs. That was a phenomenon that a lot of people invest some money into it. Phenomenons are not something you invest a big portion of your money into. Every once in a while, you look at phenomenons. Number three, number four, problems. Uber Eats solves a problem. Lyft solves a problem. Number five, preventative. This is gold. Okay, I got three kilos of gold sitting here. This is purely preventative. I'm not expecting this gold to help me become a billionaire. Not at all. But it's preventative. I own some gold. In case something happens, this is not going to make you super wealthy, but it is preventative. By the way, insurance is also preventative. I own a lot of life insurance. It's preventative. Number six, patents. Someone's got a good patent. They're typically not good operators, but if there's a real good patent and a good team behind it, I'll consider it. Number seven is product. What product it is. Sometimes you see a product, we're like, I just really like that product, and I use that product. I want to invest into that product. Great. It is a product I personally use. Number eight, predictable. You just know it's a very predictable ETF or EFT or mutual fund, something very predictable that people put their money in. Property, uh, uh, depending on commercial or residential. Ten, priceless. This is me and my family last Christmas. This is us in Whitefish, Montana. Had a great time. We flew in on a private jet, stayed there for a week at a 20-some thousand square foot home. Right behind us, do you see right behind us is where they're skiing. I don't know if you see that now or not to the top left, right behind my nanny. Uh, right there. People are skiing. So you look out the window, you see skiers, snowboarders. We had a couple of our guys. I think, I think even Mario tried to go out there and ski. It was a very bad situation. We're just happy he's okay, alive here with us. 
Uh, we had a couple of our friends, Matt and Rodolfo, try to ski. They both, no joke, couldn't stop skiing. You can tell that some of people don't know how to ski. They went into a community because they didn't know how to stop. Funny story, but they're all healthy. Nobody broke any legs. These are priceless memories that we'll talk about forever. It's an incredible time. We watched a Christmas movie. Can you guess what Christmas movie we watched? Tyler, I guarantee you, you can't guess what Christmas movie we watched. There is nothing about this movie that has to do with Christmas. Yeah, you know what we watched? We watched Primal Fear. Who the hell watches Primal Fear for Christmas? The Bed David family. We sat there in the movie theater and we sat there and we watched Primal Fear. Why? Because I just love the scene when, you know, Edward Norton goes like this to Richard Gere. Anyway, these are our memories. I invest in priceless memories with my family. We just bought uh, the box seat at the Tampa Bay Bucks playing against Cincinnati Bengals. 36 people. I'm taking a bunch of friends and clients and customers and agents. We're going to go there and I'm taking the kids. We're going to watch Joe Burrow play Tom Brady. Could probably be the last game they're going to play against each other. That's a nice investment. It's priceless for us, right? And then the last one, the last P of investing is planning. Planning. This is the one that's boring to most people. But this is what pays a lot, pays very well if you do planning. So the lack of planning in your life will ruin the financial future of your planning, of your family. Let me explain. What's the one thing you can spend hours and hours building day in and day out? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's Legos, okay? You ever seen these Legos? I don't know if you're a Lego person or not. We like to build Legos. Matter of fact, this Lego right here, I'm going to show you. My kids just finished building this last night, and I told them I'm going to bring back so they can see it. They spent so much time building this. I don't know if you guys can see this or not. Can you see it? Just take a look at it. Oh, shoot. Did it break? You got to be kidding me. I dropped that thing. Can you see it real quick? Oh, my God. Seriously, that thing broke? Can you take a look at it if it broke? By the way, I did that intentionally, just so you know that. My kids didn't spend time building that last night. Okay? This is what I built here. You know why I'm showing you this? Here's what happens if you and I don't plan. This breaks. You spend time putting this thing together. You, your family. You spend time creating your wealth. You spend time working your tail off to make money. Don't you think it makes a little bit of sense to put time in planning? Hours. How hard do you work if you're watching this? How hard do you work? This is obviously a little, uh, the guys wanted me to bring the big, what do you call that big one, the biggest one that Lego has? Do you know the name of it? The Star Wars, there's a, there, what's, what is it called? I don't know. I think it's, I think it's another one. What, the Falcon? The massive Falcon. We did one with my kids. Took us five hours to make. But myself, Adam, Mario, we decided to do the biggest piece Lego ever had. You know how many hours it took us? We made a YouTube video. We tried to break the German MIT graduates record. We failed miserably. We're not going to bring that to break it. That took a long time for us to build, right? The same way you treat your wealth to not break it, you got to protect it. comes down to planning. My kids like Legos. Their daddy likes Legos. They sit there. If you want to find a way to irritate my daughter, guess what? Have my sons come and break her Barbie house. If you want to find a way to upset my son here, he likes to build forts with pillows and blankets. If one of the kids breaks what he built with his forts, fights breaking out in the house. Full-on fights breaking out in the house. Why? Because you spent hours building that. You've spent hours building your current business. Now you ought to protect it, right? That's the whole reason why we're doing this. So if you spend time, then someone breaks it, 
and you weren't prepared for it, it's your responsibility. We ought to figure out a way to prevent people from doing that. It's not going to feel good when that happens. So now what happens to that thing that you are spending your life building when you pass away and you're not prepared for it? Have you planned who is going to take care of it? Some of you may be watching and saying, Pat, I didn't come here because I got generational wealth. I want to find out how to create generational wealth. Well, regardless if you have it or if you don't have it, generational wealth equals planning. FYI, watch what happens when you talk planning with people out there. You and I don't like that topic because we're looking for that special potion to take to create a ton of wealth. We don't like the topic of planning. Just the word itself is boring. But this is what these guys do. This is what I've learned to do. My entire life lacked planning until I understood the power of planning. Right now, I'm working, uh, <clears throat> um, working on this book I'm writing with Penguin. We're so excited about this book. It's not coming out for another year and a half. And we've been putting hours on top of hours. My whole mind is around business planning and life planning right now. Penguin bought the book. We're excited about it. Portfolio. The whole concept is 12 building blocks of writing a business plan. Because most people don't know how to write out a business plan. And that's what we're talking about with this book. So there's three types of planning. There's business planning. There's financial planning. There's estate planning. This session is not for financial planning or estate planning. Financial planning and estate planning will help you keep your wealth. This whole session was about business planning. Business planning is what will help create wealth. So for those of you that want to help create wealth, that's what we're talking about today. And by the way, what season are we in? This is the, We're going into the third week of November. Thanksgiving is a week from today, I believe. Today's Thursday, right? A week from today's Thanksgiving. Like this, Christmas is here. Like this is January 1st, 2023 is here. Are you prepared for it? Have you done a lot of planning? This is my season when I start thinking about next year's planning for 2023. A psychology professor in California did a study on goal setting. She found that you are 42% more likely to achieve your goals just by writing them down. So this is the season to think about how you're going to be writing your business plan down. But here's the issue with most business plans. It feels like homework. To most people, if you talk about business plan, they think they're doing homework and it's back to school. And how many of us just love doing homework? If you're like me, you probably don't like doing homework. Starts working on it end of December. It's kind of too late. It's kind of like, ah, I got to get a business plan. Fourth week of December, you put an hour to do it just like as if you got something done. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to get a promotion. Boom. It's rushed. You stop looking at it. By the beginning of February, too logical, not enough emotion. It's over. That's 99% of people's business plan. That's how I wrote business plans, and I never looked at the business plan again until I realized what was missing in my business plan. Do you think Rockefellers treated his business and business planning that way? Do you think any of these guys did it that way? Carnegie, Ford, any of the ones that made the money and kept it with their families? What do you think they did differently? They had a life plan that included the right building blocks. Once I structured my business plan with the 12 building blocks, my life completely changed. Okay, And by the way, these building blocks, when I explain to you, uh, it's going to be different than what you've heard before because too often everybody links a lot of logic to business plan and most people don't realize that emotion is what makes the business plan work, not the logic making a business plan work. Let me explain to you. Too often when you look at these building blocks, on the left side, you see the word skill. Many of us sit there and say, oh my God, I got to learn how to sell. I got to learn how to negotiate. I got to learn how to handle difficult conversations. That's the skill I need. Yeah, but how are you going to improve your willpower? When it's Friday night, you had a bad week, you didn't sell anything, things didn't go your way. 
you know, and you're like, well, you know, whatever, I'm going to do it next week. And you still have that next week mentality instead of let me get it done today. Your willpower is, I said, I'm going to go to the gym this morning. Ah, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Every time you say tomorrow, your willpower gets weaker. Every time you do it now, your willpower gets stronger. So yes, you want to figure out a way to improve your skill set, but how are you going to improve your willpower? You tell me anybody who won at the highest level, you'll see somebody that has strong willpower. In sports, they'll use the phrase, they willed themselves into winning the Super Bowl. Hence, Patriots against Atlanta Falcons when they were down 28-3. to It wasn't just skill that got them to win. Both sides of the team were skilled. One side had a leader with willpower. His name is Tom Brady, who's won seven championships. Can you imagine what he's going through right now and how he's handling the two victories he had back-to-back? How do you do that with the mess, marriage, personal life, FTX? And you've won two games. And you're four and five, but you're first place in your you know, division because there's nobody that's good in your division. Imagine how much willpower it takes to be Tom Brady today. So next one, people, i, I got to figure out a way how, how to write a plan. I need a right plan. That's great. We'll teach you how to write a plan, but what's your mission? What is the mission? You give me somebody on a mission, they'll figure out a way to write the plan out. You give me somebody that's on a serious mission, you can't get in that person's way. So instead of just trying to figure out a way how to write the right plan, what's the mission? Systems. I need to write systems on how to process business. I need to write systems on how to sell. I need to write systems how to raise money. Great. No problem. You can find all the systems. But what are your dreams? And I'm talking real dreams. I remember being a a guy who was broke $49,000 of debt in my Ford Focus at 23 years old, driving around, giving a keynote speech, closing speaker at an event. There's nothing about me that was a closing speaker at an event at 23 years old. But I'm giving the speech. And it's like, the next person we're going to bring up is Patrick David. I'll go, oh. And I would get up. Hey, thank you, John, for the warm introduction, folks. It's great to be here with you. And I would go into telling my story. And I would play this role of a story I'm telling you in my 50s and 60s. I was 23 years old. I had a dream. And it would get me so excited. I had a dream about, you know, family, kids, life, America, Iran. I'm a Syrian. I'm Armenian. I got a lot of dreams. Your dreams. I was in D.C. yesterday, Washington, D.C., giving a talk to this group of people in Calverton, a uh, small city with 17,000 people there. There's a few hundred people in this room. And I'm talking to these folks. I said, do you feel like your dream machine's kind of been shut off for the last couple of years? And then if yes, tell me why. Weren't we all dreamers? What happened there? You know, when, he, when somebody's in a, got a dream and they're chasing it, they're pursuit of their dreams, their eyes have a little twinkle in it. You see the fire. If somebody doesn't happen, doesn't have it, they just look like it's just life, regular life. What are your dreams? Next, hey, I need capital. If I only had a million dollars, I would be able to start this business. If I only had $100,000, if I only had $10,000, if I only had, it's the if I only had. Money's not hard to find. A vision is. You give me somebody with a real vision, they're going to find the money. You give me somebody with a real vision, with the right team around them, that people have bought into this vision, trust me, money will show up. We had a real vision when we started the insurance company. It was very simple. People thought I was crazy, but the vision was real. All of a sudden, four years later, some guy comes and says, hey, I'll give you a million dollars. Cool. Four years later, another guy came in. Hey, Oscar De La Hoya, Gabriel Brenner, these guys are interested in investing into the company. No problem. Here's $10 million. 2017. So I'm going around telling people my vision, and we're growing the company. We got great leaders in the company, and boom. 
well, who's this Matt guy, this Sheena guy, this George guy, this Jose guy, this Vargas guy, this Huck? Oh, these guys got a real business. These guys got real leaders. This guy's got Tom Ellsworth. Who, this is awesome. This is crazy. $10 million. Hey, $35 million. Hey, a few hundred million. Because there's a vision. Capital showed up. Even when I was broke, if the vision was real, money eventually showed up. Too many people just want to study their competition. Well, let me see what the competition is doing in the real estate industry. Yeah, you can go get all the stats. You can get all the data. But who's your real enemy? What do you mean by enemy? Do you have an enemy? Robert Greene was a friend of mine. He uh, wrote a book, 40 Laws of Power, wrote another book called 33 Strategies of War. When I first got involved in business, I was very naive. I thought everybody wanted to see me win. And I would say good things. And all of a sudden, I started beating some of the guys that were telling me I can win. And I noticed some of them turned. I'm like, wait, what happened here? You were nice. Now you're talking behind my back? What happened there? Then I realized not everybody wants to see you win. Okay? There's real enemies out there. So for two years, you know what's the one book I read every day and listened to the audio on replay for two years? 33 Strategies of War. Because when I started an insurance company, I realized business is a form of war. Sports is a form of war. America right now being number one, you think we have a lot of enemies? There's a form of war. China wants to beat U.S. and be number one. This war is not like a nuclear war we're talking about. But business is war. Competition is okay. Having an enemy produces a different energy. A guy named Michael Jordan knew how to identify his next enemy. You may need an enemy. You're bored out of your mind right now. You don't have an enemy right now. Like, Pat, what's an enemy? An enemy isn't somebody you want to hurt. An enemy could be a father that's no longer in the picture with you. You know, I remember one time reading a story about Tyler Perry. When Tyler Perry made all the money and his dad showed up, he said, man, you're so rich. I'm your father. I'm this, I'm that. He says, dad... Here's what I'm going to do. Listen to what Tyler Perry did. It's a very interesting story. I don't know if you know this or not, Tyler. Tyler Perry, he's got a good name, by the way. Tyler Perry ends up buying his dad a nice car, buys him a house, gives him some money with one caveat. Never call me ever again. I don't want you in my life. The years I needed you, you weren't there. Now I want you to feel my pain. Think about that. You think a part of Tyler Perry building the place that he's built and being the, I think he's a billionaire already, if not on his way, you think it's just because he wants to make movies? Or you think there's an enemy where his father wasn't there to support him and tell him, son, I believe in you? You think a Steve Jobs who was given for adoption doesn't think about the fact that how dare you give me up for adoption? You, think, you don't think that's a form of an enemy? What do you have to produce that kind of fire for you? These are the kind of things that you got to take inventory of. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about this. Supporting cast. Man, if I have, find the right recruit, the right running mate, it's going to be amazing. That's great, but what kind of a culture you got? Is your culture the kind of place that people want to be around? Do they want to stay late? Do they want to go home? Is it just like, well, clock in, clock out, 459 club. I can't wait to leave. Boom, you're out of here. You're bored out of your mind. Well, maybe we need a better culture where you're at. So these whole 12 building blocks, I can talk about this for days on top of days because there's specific strategies on how to do this here. But these are the 12 building blocks. So you heard three different types of planning, financial planning, estate planning, business planning. Due to popular demand last year, a lot of the businesses I consult said, Pat, can you put a course together for business planning? I said, no problem. We did it last year. A hundred page workbook that gets sent to everybody that registers and buys their tickets. It's on December 16th this year. Last year, we had people from 100-plus countries. This year will be the same as well. We're expecting a very big turnout because right now I'm working on a book with Penguin Portfolio where we're talking about how to write a business plan that's going to come out next year. If you want to join me on this webinar on December 16th, click here, get registered so we can spend a day together. 
and make 2023 the beginning of the greatest years of your life. Go get registered. I'll see you there December 16th.